Namaste. My name is Callie Klug and I am a yoga teacher and Reiki practitioner in Orange County and I am very passionate about healing. This is the Your Own Medicine podcast, so welcome. Here we explore the countless modalities to healing through authentic chats and honest interactions. So let's discover how to be your own medicine. To easily integrate daily wellness, yoga, meditation, and breathwork into your routine, check out my Yoga Island virtual yoga studio and community online. I have more than 60 recorded videos of yoga and meditation content on there. The goal is to make it really easy and doable for you to weave these ancient and effective and powerful practices into your daily routine to effectively change how you feel about yourself, your life, make you feel more empowered, more at peace in your physical body. So check it out. It's only $5.50 a month. Give it a try. Namaste. All right. Hi, Liana. Thanks for joining us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. <laughs> My I'm really excited. I'm excited too. I'm so pumped. I'm like, when I found out, so just for everyone listening, um, I met Liana at Mammoth two weekends ago at the yoga festival. And when I found out she was a trauma-sensitive yoga teacher for kids, I like attacked her and was like, you have to come <laughs> on my podcast. Because I just think that's super cool. And yeah, for so many reasons, but we can get into that. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, and where you are located. All right. So I am Liana Roman. I am a yoga instructor based out of Lodi, California, uh, which I love here. And there is surprisingly a great yoga community in this area that I feel so fortunate to have become a part of. Teaching yoga is something that I've wanted to do, but I didn't really have the confidence for a while. So I just practiced and then meeting the owner of the studio where I was practicing and where I now teach, she helped give me the confidence to follow that desire to do the 200 hour yoga teacher training. I am currently going through my 300 hour teacher training program as well. So I'm really excited about that. And um, bringing yoga to kids has just always been something that I have been so passionate about. And it really stems from a selfish place, if I'm being honest. And it's because I wish I had been given these tools and this ability uh, back at a younger age, just to kind of help with life and, you know, to cope and that sort of thing. So that kind of turned into taking a course and getting certified as a trauma-sensitive yoga teacher for youth, because it is a little different than teaching regular yoga. And even if it's not trauma-sensitive yoga for kids, I am a firm believer that all kids need to be learning these skills and it should be available to them in schools. So did you take it, the course was trauma-sensitive yoga for children? Yes. Oh, that's so cool. That is really cool. And how long have you been practicing yoga? What did you say? Oh, well, my personal practice has been on and off now for about 15 years. Um, you know, and there go lengths of time where I would kind of just abandon it. But then as I, I got older and I really started committing to my practice and just seeing the benefits that it has, it's just become something that now is just a part of daily life. Right. That's awesome. That's a really long time to be practicing. So how did you first become interested? So you've been practicing for 15 more or less years. So what got you interested into this specific niche niche? I don't know how to say that word of trauma sensitive yoga. The more I started to learn about it um, and trauma in general, it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. There was this program that became available and one of my coworkers, my co-teachers at the yoga studio, 
she sent it out to the group and was like, listen, this is something I'm going to do. I just, you know, I'm not sure if anybody else is interested. And I was very interested, but at the time I was like, oh, I don't know if I can swing this financially. Mm -hmm. And so I was so blessed because the owner of my studio reached out to myself and to another teacher who we are both interested in teaching yoga to kids. And she said, my husband and I would love to pay for you girls to take this course because I know this is something that you're passionate about. And I know that it will just kind of, you know, grow and benefit your practice and benefit what you have to offer to the world. So it was beyond generous. And I was able to take the course and that's kind of just where it started. And it's just become this focus. It's just, it's blown my mind. Some of just what I've learned about myself and my own trauma and unpacking all of that, but then how we can help these kids and youth develop these tools so that it's not being passed down from generation to generation. And like, we can kind of put an end to the cycle as best we can. Um, and just create some awareness about the self. Right. That's so cool. I like the idea of breaking the cycle too. And that's true because like children are absolutely the most vulnerable population, especially if you're, you know, I mean, all kids are vulnerable, but if you're in a traumatic household or there's some, you know, whatever, there's so many different there's so many different looks to trauma. It's not just like the stereotypical, I think we're all learning. It's not just a stereotypical, like domestic violence or outward, crazy, violent, whatever that may be. So that's really cool that you're able to literally change the future and change the world by working with these kids and showing them. So do you show them coping skills or what does it look like when you work with them? So it is, it's coping skills in the basic form of yoga, and they don't really know that it is a trauma-sensitive style. So to them, they're just learning these practices. What's really important for these kids is um, creating a safe space, letting them know that they have control over what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And that was actually something that I had wanted to make sure that I, that I mentioned because so when you're teaching trauma-informed yoga, you want to use permissive language. So for example, like when it feels good, go ahead and bring the arms up overhead, or if you would like to, or if it feels good for your body and using that permissive language gives them that sense of control over their body. And that's important, not only if it was one of the big traumas that we've talked about, you know, like abuse or those really the big death, divorce going mm -hmm. through, you know, the parents going through divorce, all of those things that are bigger, obvious traumas, but the little traumas too, the developmental traumas where let's say, for example, as a child, you are crying, which children do. And you trigger a response in your parent that elicits some anger from them because they have unresolved trauma. So when you see that, if your emotions aren't mirrored, where the parent is then saying, what do you need? What can I do to help you? And because, you know, parenting is tough. And if these parents haven't been taught these coping mechanisms to deal with their trauma, then they're going to pass it on unknowingly. So if your emotions aren't being mirrored, by seeing your parents' reaction when you are upset, you are learning over time that your emotions don't really matter mm -hmm. and that other people's emotions matter more than yours. And it will lead to the inability to determine what you're feeling and you won't be able to recognize your own emotion. Like, is this, is this sadness because nobody's consoling me? So maybe this just doesn't matter. And so through that, you're losing control over self. So by giving them that permissive language, you're connecting them with their body and being able to make these choices. Does this feel good? Do I want to bring my arms up overhead? I do. Or you know what? I don't want to right now. So I won't. Um, and that's, that's a really big part of cueing in these yoga classes. And it makes, it makes a big difference. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so when you say mirroring too, just to clarify, so you mean the parent saying like, oh, I see you're really sad. You know, like you said, if for the example, the kid is crying, 
the parent would say, oh, you're so sad. Why are you sad? And hug, like you said, hug, console, whatever, instead of being like, oh, just suck it up. Like you're being too sensitive. So that would be not mirroring that emotion saying like kind of dismissing it. Like you said. Yes. And over time that does a lot of damage. And I, I like to believe in my heart that most parents, they don't even realize they're doing it because especially in today's day and age, most parents are, you know, two income households, they're both working, life is stressful, <laughs> you know? So I'm sure that because they were never taught these proper coping mechanisms to recognize their own trauma, these behaviors that they don't intend to be traumatic for their kids they're happening and they're not even aware. And it does have this like insane lasting impact on your development as a person and your ability to feel heard, to feel seen. And then just the ability to recognize your emotions, you know, just imagine you, you get to this point and you're like, well, what is this that I'm feeling? Is this valid? Am I mad? Am I sad? And then it just causes, you know, children to close off. And then that's where the body starts storing this trauma And it'll just continue if we don't start addressing these things as they come up. So do you think it could be assumed too that the parents, like you said, they're doing the best they can. I like to also assume that people are just doing the best they can in whatever situation they're in. So could it be said, do you think that the parents in these situations that are maybe sometimes or always dismissing or not mirroring their kids emotions or whatever it may be do you think that was probably passed on to them and they're just continuing this cycle yes I I think that's probably the root of most of it and then not being taught how to manage your own emotions so when you are feeling anger what are some tools you know what are some things you can do to, to calm yourself down in order to not have that response when a child is crying or when a child needs something from you. Because I do, I want to, I want to say, I do think it is valid that that causes stress for the parents too, you know, to have this little life fully dependent on you. That's really hard. And I don't think as a society, we address that enough. I think we're starting to, which is great. And I, I personally, I don't have children, but I, I, my friends and siblings have kids and I don't think we talk about how hard it is. Um, So there are, you know, a few different factors that can lead to that. And if we start to recognize, if we start to have these conversations, if we start to build our little toolkit, so to speak, to deal with these emotions and these responses as they come up, I think we can really start doing the work to stop this from passing on. Right. Like keeping that cycle. No, that's such a good point. Cause if you're, I do not have kids either. So if you're listening to this, you can judge me because I don't have kids. I don't know. It's like, I can't speak for parents, but if you're a grown ass adult and like you said, stressful situation, you know, you probably have other stuff going on. Your kid is crying, reacting in a certain way. That's probably heightening the stress of the situation you're already in. And you don't have your own coping like mechanisms. How the heck are you going to show a kid how to do it if you're like barely hanging on? So do you teach these these skills to the parents as well? Is that part of it? Um, You know, that's actually a great idea. And that is something that I am working on in providing that, you know, to adults as well. My focus right now has just been the kids. But I would love to do more of that in the future because I think that's also equally as important. Right, totally. And so kind of going back to what you said about the, you said permissive language, said it. So Mm -hmm. what is the difference that included between trauma-sensitive yoga or trauma-informed yoga and just plain old regular yoga that you get with most teachers at the studio? making sure that you are using more of that permissive language. And also if, if we're teaching just a regular, I suppose is the best way to describe it, a class, if we're teaching a class to students, that's not necessarily uh, trauma informed. If a student doesn't go into a pose, we assume as teachers that it's more physical and that maybe they're recognizing their physical limitations Whereas with children, 
it could be something that is triggering some sort of trauma response. It could be that they want that control over their body. So knowing that if they don't want to do something, there's probably more of a reason behind it rather than just, oh, my shoulder, you know, I can't get my arm up over my head and diving a little deeper into that and letting them know if you don't want to do this is okay. And letting them have that, that control over their own self. Oh, wow. That's so true. I have never thought of it from that perspective of, um, you're totally right. In a physical class, if I cue something, I'm a little trauma informed. I've never taken a course, but I try and do my best to, you know, so, but you're totally right in a class with adults in most vinyasa flow style classes, if something is cued and someone's not doing it, you're right. An injury or a lack of physical capacity is normally assumed instead of like, oh, this person is just not feeling this. They don't like this posture. This posture is triggering for them for some reason. Like we don't need to know why, but so when the way that you're talking about this reminds me of some classes I've been to where, and we'll kind of use this as a segue into the assist questions to the hands-on assist, where a teacher has like physically moved someone into a pose and they say, oh, I can't do this because maybe a physical capability or a physical injury or whatever it is. And I've actually seen teachers like owners of studios even yank people into postures and I've heard people be like my knee my leg and I'm like <laughs> oh my god like is this really happening right now and they go you're fine you're fine or you know your chakras aren't aligned if you can't get into this pose or you know whatever it may be so with that in mind with that example in mind and someone asked this as well. Some, a listener submitted this question. <laughs> what are your thoughts on spotting or um, hands-on assists in yoga classes? Is it helpful? Is it harmful? That is a great question. I have two answers. So for children's yoga, I, I don't do it because we are working on more of the emotional and the energetic benefits. And so if a child is not in proper alignment with their hips for now, as they're younger, that's okay. We're not looking to nail these postures and it's highly unlikely that they are in a position where they're going to hurt themselves. Now, if they are, again, we can do some of that mirroring. So I can go up to them and show them with my body but for children's yoga and especially the trauma-informed, I do not think hands-on is uh, the way to go. And that's just me personally, uh, because we don't know what some of their trauma is. And I, I personally don't want to teach them that just because I am in a power of, you know, an authority figure in the class, so to speak, I have the right to put my hands on their body. And if they don't feel comfortable, they might not be able to articulate, I don't want you to touch me. So we just eliminate that. For regular yoga with adults, I think that checking for consent. So what is interesting at the studio that I work with, we have these little cards and they say yes and no. And so you can take a card and put it on the front of your mat. And if you want adjustments today, you say yes. If you don't want them, you say no. Um, always asking somebody, is this okay if I do that? Um, and just giving them the opportunity, you know, to say yes or no, because myself as a student, maybe one day I'm really wanting to work on some poses and I want all the help. And so I would be, yes, absolutely. Today is the day. Adjust me if you need to. But if there's a day maybe where I'm feeling a little triggered, I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling like myself. And it's like, I don't want you to touch me. So even as adults, that changes day to day. So I think just being really clear with asking for permission with adults and then just not including that as part of the practice with children's yoga. That's mm -hmm. kind of, that's my opinion on that. <laughs> so is true trauma-informed yoga normally hands-off, like completely hands-off? From what I've seen, yes. I think that we can get the benefits without needing that extra physical touch. Now there are some practices 
where there's like partnering. And so um, like, for example, like if you're sitting down and holding the hands of your partner. And so I think that's a little different because it is peer to peer and it gives them the opportunity that if they want to, and if they need that connection, they can choose that, you know, with their peer because they might, they're going to be more likely to feel safer with a peer and then also to feel safer if they don't want to with a peer rather than telling an authority figure no. So sometimes like a peer-to-peer -peer stretch would be a way to go if you wanted to, you know, include that in, in part of the practice. I love that you are saying this right now. It's making me think of, did you see the Bikram documentary? I have not because I've heard of it and I know that it's going to make me very angry. So I have intentionally not seen it. <laughs> it's really triggering and it made me really angry and I like had to take a shower after. Um, so in that documentary, it goes into just for people listening, cause I'm sure, you know, kind of like what the premise is. Bikram, if you've ever heard of Bikram yoga, he was the founder of Bikram yoga and he did a lot of terrible things with and to women because he was in this guru, um, you know, like you said, authority figure, teacher position. And I like want to scream when I hear that you are teaching this to kids, because that's when it starts. Like that is that, especially with the guru figure, the authority figure teacher, like whatever you're saying, to learn to have autonomy and, you know, consent. And that's like a whole other thing. But that literally makes me want to scream. I saw this video of this little girl on TikTok today. Her little brother was like poking her in the face or something. And she said, this is my body. And I don't like how you're touching me. And she was like three years old. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if everyone learned that when they were kids, so much less icky things would happen. You know, we would have, like you're saying, these kids maybe that are in these situations where they're not being mirrored. If they're in a situation where an authority figure says, you know, is trying to take advantage of them and they feel it wrong in their body, but they're disconnected from that. They might not recognize that, you know? So that's so exactly. cool that you teach that to children. Like that is so empowering for them. That's so cool. That is, that is the plan to give them that autonomy over their body. And then to go back to what we were saying, to recognize that feeling and to understand what is this emotion? I don't want this. And then to have the power to articulate, no, I don't want this. And it has to be that simple. Like one of the greatest quotes I've ever read on Instagram was no is a complete sentence. And if they say no, you don't have to push them any further, you know, like just the social behavior of kids with the parents, oh, go ahead and, you know, give so-and-so a hug, you know, or, Hey, where's my hug? No. And that's it. That's the, that should be the end of the conversation. <laughs> right. And that one is something that's so normalized too. I mean, I can remember that, you know, when I was a little kid and you might not like how certain family members are like touching you, not even inappropriately, but you just might not like right. being touched by them or someone smells bad or, you know, maybe they're kissing you on the mouth, which I had some family members that would do that. I didn't like that. And, but the, yeah, it's your parents, these people that are supposed to keep you safe. And like you said, I don't think anyone's meaning harm, but yeah, you're kind mm -hmm. of just slowly stripping away the autonomy. And so hopefully with this trauma sensitive experience, you kind of give that back to them. How often do you meet with the kids that you work with? So before COVID, we were going into one of the local middle schools. And I mean, I do have to say COVID really put a damper on a lot of this practice because we were going to the school, which I think is the best way because it is a safe space. You know, it should be a safe, comfortable space for these students. So getting back into the schools has been a bit challenging, just obviously with the state of the world. But we were going in once a week. And, you know, I do offer private sessions as well, but I think in the group setting for kids, it is more comfortable for them to be just kind of like with the class and also going into the classrooms, I think is a way to just normalize yoga. 
you know, like this is just something you're learning the same as math or history. Like it's just a skill that you want to learn early on to carry with you for the rest of your life. Right. Like you said, I think um, school is a good neutral place. It's away from the home, whatever's going on there. And then also to see your peers practicing yoga, everyone together, that would totally normalize it. Because I think yoga is getting more normalized, but definitely when I was in school, it was like a hippy dippy thing to do. (laughs) And it wasn't, it wasn't really cool or accepted on a wide level at all. Very true. Yes, it was. I like what you said, like hippy dippy was the idea. And then as it started to come into gyms, when it really became more of the physical, you know, when they were teaching these group fitness classes and all of a sudden yoga um, just became like this workout. And then I feel like you're doing a disservice because you're losing a lot of, even if you're not looking at it as a spiritual practice, the breath work, you know, that doesn't have to do anything with spirituality, but that breath work is a big, important piece of yoga and how to learn how to regulate the breath and to have that control over your body. So it needs to be, I think, more accepted fully for the the whole practice. And you can take the spirituality and the religion out of it, but just having it be just a simple physical practice, I think that also is like a disservice to yoga. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah, I think that like you're saying, the spirituality, you can make it completely secular I guess and still maintain the I mean even when you strip it from every all of the Hinduism or philosophy I guess and what remains is the asana and the meditation and the mantra that's still super legit I mean scientifically proven legit you know yeah And so, okay, if there's a parent listening to this right now and they are like, oh shit, I have not been mirroring my child or I have not been passing on healthy coping techniques or I've been passing on my unhealthy coping techniques, what is one or two things that you would recommend to them to like today or tomorrow teach to their kid or even do for themselves when they're in that situation where things are getting escalated? That is a great question. I think in response to the child, making sure that your child feels seen and heard. I think, and as adults, you know, we should be doing this with each other too, but it's really especially important for children uh, to help them create that recognition of their emotions and know that those emotions are valid and being seen and being heard. So, you know, and that, again, I'm not a parent, so this is going to vary like how you do this, but it could just be as simple as saying, okay, I see that you're upset. Why don't we, you know, take a a moment here. Let's take some deep breaths and let's talk about it. I think encouraging the communication and just creating that feeling of, being validated in what they're, in what they're feeling and knowing, like, I see you, I hear you. Let's talk about this. That right there is a little step that can go a very long way. I'm going to throw a wrench at you. (laughs) What if their (laughs) child is nonverbal? So they're not old enough to talk, or maybe for some reason they're nonverbal. What would you say instead of like, let's talk about this in that moment? So mirroring through physical touch. You know, so soothing if it's just like a reassuring, you know, hand on the shoulder, hand on the back, a hug, because that it will also be interpreted as, oh, my emotions are being seen. I have someone who is mirroring what I'm feeling and they're accepting that. So I think that assurance could be physical as well. That's really good. And is there any easy, like either asana or breath techniques that Um, you can show like just some kind of coping skill that you could introduce to a child in like a few minutes like when they're they're Um, when they're feeling overwhelmed when the kid's feeling overwhelmed yeah I think breath work is probably one of the most important tools that we can teach and so the belly breath but in trauma-informed yoga or even just child yoga we call it the balloon breath 
So as you inhale, you're pressing out the stomach. Imagine your stomach is a balloon and you feel that balloon filling with air. And then as you're exhaling, you know, that balloon in the stomach is coming back in as well. And so just that balloon breath, giving them the idea of something, you know, fun and simple, and then just following that breath pattern. That's probably one of the easiest ones to help regulate the breath. And then also to create a familiarity of what the breath feels like in the body. So that's definitely, I think one of the best for kids just to kind of learn the breath and how that makes them feel. Counting too is just a really simple, you know, okay, let's, let's count down from 10, take a deep breath for each count. That's something that is easy and that can create that awareness in the body as well. And then just by that breathing, they will start to calm down just automatically. That's so cool that you're teaching these to kids because I think I learned these in the last like five years. And I, I just really think that you're like creating a huge shift. I mean, you, this whole movement of teaching yoga to kids and just bringing this awareness. I think that's really powerful. It can, like you said, probably more, be more likely to break those cycles because these children now are building awareness, like perhaps even having more bodily awareness than their parents, which is kind of crazy to think about, but it totally can and does happen. And Mm -hmm. so that's, I think what you're doing is really amazing. So And you don't have to get into specifics here with this next question, unless you want to, and you can keep everything anonymous, but what are the most powerful results that you've seen teaching trauma-sensitive yoga in general to kids and yourself, whatever example you want to share? I think for me, when we were in the schools and we were going and doing our, our weekly class, um, Seeing the kids who maybe were a little hesitant at first really start to get excited and really start to make an effort when, as they came back for that practice, because there's something about the practice that is sticking with them and that they're enjoying and whether they recognize that they're getting something out of it or not, that shift of them starting to become excited or really wanting to try a little harder, um, that right there is just, that's key because they will remember that. And if it can be continued and, you know, fostered, it's going to take the stigma out of like, oh, yoga. And no, maybe moving my body and finding this breath, even if it's just one, one little thing that they're taking away, that just makes all the difference. Right. Even if a kid leaves that class and has just the belly breath, Or like you said, just literally one little thing that they can then implement into their life. And even just becoming aware, I'm sure you, well, you said you introduced them to connecting to their body. So even just the fact that they're able to connect to that and saying, okay, I'm getting upset and then have the ability to, the ability and awareness and tools to implement uh, a breathing technique to bring them back down to baseline is like freaking crazy because I feel like a lot of adults can't even do that me included sometimes you know so that is super cool so if there's a yoga teacher listening because I know there's a lot of yoga teachers and a yoga teacher that um is a listener asked this question what would you recommend to yoga teachers who are listening that want to start to incorporate more trauma-sensitive yoga into their teaching? That is a great question. I think doing a little bit more research regarding trauma and what that can look like, finding a program. So uh, Yoga Ed is a program that's available online and they have different courses. And this first course was a big piece of kind of sparking that interest in me. I think that the more collective knowledge that we have, you know, so reaching out to maybe some like-minded folks and just, again, just doing some research and start small because it's those small changes that can make the biggest differences. So you don't have to come into it all of a sudden, like I'm an expert and I need to do all of this. But if you want to start teaching yoga to children, 
you know, just starting by introducing the breath, introducing some small movements, it'll, it'll grow from there and it'll make a huge difference. Mm. And so is there specific resources that you recommend for yoga teachers? Like you said, you want to start learning about trauma. Is there resources you recommend or ones that you found really impactful when you started learning about trauma in general? So outside of the course from yoga ed, which again, I found to be just so magical. I learned so much. It was very empowering. Um, learning a little bit about how the body processes trauma. So I don't remember the author, but there's that book, the body keeps the score. Oh my gosh. That book is so, that book really was a mind fuck in a good way. Yeah, right. No, I think that was also really eye opening. And so starting to understand the correlation between trauma and what happens in the body, because there is, when you're experiencing trauma, we enter that fight or flight mode, right? So like, that's all that adrenaline gets built up and all of that energy is created. And then if we don't have that proper outlet, it's staying in the body. Like it's just, you know, it's not going to magically disappear. So your body will just kind of like absorb that. So finding that outlet, whether it be small movements or breath work, that is how we can start to release that trauma from the body. So doing a little bit of research in that area is really helpful because then you can kind of make that connection of like what it is that yoga is actually doing to release the trauma. You know, um, also I know I have a lot more that I need to study in regards to the brain, <laughs> just how the brain is so freaking cool but how these emotions get processed and how certain movements and the breath and just understanding how that all correlates. Like the body is just a trip, man. Like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you get into that, the brain science, just like you said, I think if I remember correctly, there's a chapter in the body keeps the score about the brain, right? Yes. It's, it's like, it's kind of hard to follow because my, my brain doesn't follow, uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff very well but yeah it is so gnarly and in that book too just for anyone listening there is an entire chapter on yoga for they talk about trauma and then he starts to go through different treatments or ways to heal so they talk about medication and in different kinds of therapy and theater which is interesting and yoga and so yoga is a yeah it's proven like everything you said is in the book and uh yeah I that reading that book was very profound for me as well yeah I would recommend it to anyone who's interested it's a good one okay so let's start to move into the lightning round questions so I haven't okay. told you these yet <laughs> So no pressure and um, feel free to take a moment and think about them before you answer since I haven't told you them. So you might. Okay. Okay. So uh, the first one is what is one message that you would tell your 13 year old self? Oh, um, that is a great one. Oh the gosh. I have a lot that I would love to tell her. If I can tell her one thing, um, you are perfect just the way you are. Mm. I think that, uh, yeah, just don't listen to the magazines and what you see on TV. Like, this is how God, the universe, this is how you were made and embrace that. Don't try to change that. Mm. Yeah. 13's a vulnerable age too. I feel like 13 is, you have that vulnerability from being a child still, and then just are confused as hell because the world's telling you that you're kind of an adult and kind of a kid. Yeah. That's a good one. All right. The second one is, <clears throat> What is the, what in your opinion 
is the single biggest thing we can do as individuals to heal the world collectively? Hmm. I think, I think we touched on this in one of our sessions at the yoga festival. It might've been our first session that we were in together. It's not, it's just being kind to one another, like not viewing everyone else with that uh, lens of judgment and being a little bit more accepting. Mm -hmm. I think everybody, especially on social media, is so quick to uh, judge. And now there's this whole like outrage rage that's going on. And I think just being kinder to each other and, and listening, we can have a difference of opinion and we don't have to be mortal enemies, like FYI. <laughs> so I think that would be a great way to start some collective healing is to just be kinder to each other. There was a shirt at Mammoth. I don't know if you saw this stand, but it said, have a great day, no matter what. And I was like, yes. I love that. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, I, like you said, do you said outrage rage? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of rage going around. So just that idea of saying no matter what your beliefs or what be it, have a great day. Yeah. Yeah. We need, we need more of that. <laughs> right. I think that is really healing. And that kind of reminds me too of that point in, um, so me and Liana, we met in this workshop on death and grief and yoga, which I'm just laughing because it's really heavy and like, um, you have to laugh or else you'll just cry. <laughs> um, so in that workshop too, we were, and I don't know if this is the part you're referring to, but we did this kind of like movement dancing part where we were addressing the idea of when someone else is in pain, what do you do? And you can, what was it? Take their pain and yeah. then optimize it into love and then send them back love and healing. Mm -hmm. And that was just so powerful. Cause like you said, everyone's on this weird thing right now of rage, rage, outrage, rage. And so that idea of taking their pain and having compassion and then sending back love is like, Ooh. Yeah, that was, that was intense and beautiful. It was so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Cause it's so rare right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Last one. So what is your favorite or most powerful affirmation or mantra or thing you tell yourself that you use or have been using lately? You know, the one that I always come back to is I am enough. Mm. I think that that ties into so much um, about everything that we've been talking about. I mean, so if you really dive into like the bullies on social media, there's obviously something about them that they're not feeling good about. So they like to lash out at other folks to make themselves feel good, to lash out at uh, other people that they might be feeling jealousy towards. Um, we are inundated with messages, especially as women uh, about, you know, you're not enough. Well, you don't look like this and your body doesn't look like this and your hair doesn't look like this. And, you know whatever, whatever it is, it's, there's just so much mm. that if you really, you break it down and just the makeup and the clothes, and then this idea of always wanting, oh, well, you don't have the name brands and you don't have this and you don't have that. And just like stripping all of that away and just knowing like at your core, obviously we all have work to do on ourselves, but we are enough. And we, every time, you know, you open your phone, your laptop, you step mm -hmm. outside, all these messages are coming towards you that you're not. And I think that we need to get back to that belief because that's where a lot of the healing will start. So yeah, I am enough. Oh, that's so good. I felt that in my body when you said that, like in my bone, oh. I was, I can't believe I'm going to share this, but one time I was watching, um, 
the office on mushrooms. <laughs> and if you've ever <laughs> taken mushrooms or any psychedelic, you know, it, it changes the way that you interpret so like social cues. It makes me very hypersensitive to energy and like social cues and stuff. And I was watching it. It was the episode. I don't know if you've seen the office. Have you seen the office? Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. So it was the episode where Pam and Karen have the Christmas party and they were like, kind of right. There was that tension and then they just came together. And I was like, oh my gosh, they are having this weird tension and you know, it wasn't outward bullying or even with like Jim and Pam or whatever, but it was because of insecurity. It was like this huge click, like anytime someone, like you said, is bullying or is, you know, not being kind to someone else in an effort to kind of keep someone down. That's totally that belief of, it might be deep down too, but I'm not enough or rooted in insecurity. So if everyone, idealism here, but if everyone <laughs> could somehow <laughs> accept and believe that, believe that I am enough, then there wouldn't be any of that shit because everyone would feel worthy and they wouldn't have to feel like they had to put other people down, you know? Exactly. Yes. I agree with that wholeheartedly because, I mean gosh, if you think about it, like there are entire like empires, I guess these like beauty empires and stuff that are built on the fact that we don't believe that we are enough. There was that one thing going around on Instagram that was like, imagine what would happen to all of these companies if every woman woke up tomorrow morning realizing I'm enough, I'm good. You know, they've, they've built these monopolies and preying on this this doubt that is in all of us and yeah we have the power to overcome it and just imagine if we did you know just everybody would just come together and wow that would be pretty intense (laughs) we're getting deep into idealism here (laughs) everyone would come together and think but I do think it would be a better world like genuinely if everyone believed that they were enough. I'm sure there'd still be some degree of like the fashion and stuff. Cause I think some people get genuine pleasure out of that. Like my yes. sister's going to fashion school and I don't see it that way. Like, do you know what I mean? I, it doesn't like bring me the same kind of pleasure, but yes, I do think there would be a huge stock drop <laughs> in those companies very quickly if everyone woke up and I'm just, we're kind of going like, we're just closing out here, but just now that we're on this topic, and you use this affirmation, I am enough. Is there any advice or practice that you would give to someone listening who's like, shit, I relate to this. I look in the mirror and I don't feel like I'm enough. Like, what am I, what do I do? What do you do? Or what would you recommend to someone who's feeling like that? Switching uh, your mindset. So when you start to feel that doubt creep in, just picking out one or two things only has to be one or two things that you really admire or love about yourself, or maybe a compliment that someone else has given you and just, you know, focusing on that. And that might sound easier said than done because it's tough when you're in one of those like depressive states where you're just like, oh man, I, I just, I suck. I can't do anything. Um, you know, it, it, it can be hard, but just having a list, one or two things that you're like, yes, well, this, this is what, this is who I am. And so bringing yourself back to that and just repeating it until you feel it. And some days that's going to work more than others because some days it's just going to be really tough, but then knowing, Hey, look, tomorrow is a new day and we can always start fresh. And, you know, you're only one yoga class away from a better mood. So that's true. There you go. <laughs> and speaking of, um, where that was a great segue that I was like, literally couldn't have been better. Where can people find you on social media or your website or whatever, wherever people find you and what are your current offerings and anything that you're promoting specifically? Um, so I, right now I have a page that is just starting, uh, Liana Roman yoga. It's my Instagram page for yoga that I haven't dedicated enough time to. So I am enough. I am enough. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm enough. We got it, mama. 
Um, and I do offer yoga classes, uh, private lessons, you know, uh, via Zoom for those who are not local. Anybody in the Lodi, California area, I teach at Now and Zen, and I'm bringing my classes now over to the Woodbridge Golf and Country Club with hopefully a children's class in the mix that will be starting soon. And then also my other Instagram is just at Liana Therese. And I can be found there a little bit more than my other page right now. But I'm, you know, if anybody has any questions or just any sort of interest in what we spoke about and wanted a little more information, I am happy to spread this message and share it with anybody who wants to learn. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. There are so many moments during this podcast where I just wanted to scream because you this what you're teaching is so valuable. And um not, I'm not even being over dramatizing or anything where literally you're changing the world by, oh my gosh, I want to cry. (laughs) You're literally changing the world by working with these kids and breaking these cycles and giving them the opportunity for awareness. That is, I think all of us who, if you're listening to this and you're in this space of healing, I think all of us wish that we found this earlier so thank you for bringing this to kids thank you for being on this podcast I appreciate you so much (laughs) thank you so much thank you I'm so happy to have met you and ended up sobbing in your arms that day as strangers (laughs) I know that was really intense I that was a really special moment I'm glad I'm glad we got paired up Me too. Thank you for coming on. I will see you soon, Liana. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Your Own Medicine podcast. Be sure to rate and review five stars only, please. It is much appreciated and it greatly helps to boost the podcast. So see you next time and keep on healing and be your own medicine. Namaste.